tired of being nostalgic about video games, maybe it's time to be nostalgic about podcasts about being nostalgic about video games. We're back! Yeah, it's only it's only taken us eight months. So it's, yep, eight months, eight, eight long, grueling months. We recorded an episode of Richie and it put us off the format <laughs> so much. I think what the problem was is that we'd um, we'd actually covered all the old video games and we had to wait for some more video games to get old before we could come back. So we're going to be talking about Xbox 360 games, <laughs> yeah. PS3 titles. Those classic warm feelings that the Xbox 360 gave us. Um, thank you all immensely for your patience. Yeah, over the last... thank you for not rioting and stabbing us. Yeah, we. It's just what we said last time we recorded an episode. It's just when you're when you're so busy, it's like, it's not the podcast. It's the hard part. It's actually try to play the games and give them the proper attention to be able to talk about them properly. So that's kind of. We're assuming rather low. Well, I'm not. Sh- I'm sure we haven't gained loads of new listeners after being off the air for eight months. But we should probably introduce ourselves. I'm Nicole Hay, and I'm Barry Topping. And uh, part of the reason why we weren't able to record a podcast, a very small part, one-eighth of the reason why we weren't able to record a podcast over the last eight months, was that we went to Japan. Yeah. And, my, like, I've, I've said this to so many people, but, like, you, you sit and you imagine your whole life about what it's going to be like to finally get to the land of glorious Nippon, and you get there, and it's even better than you ever, ever expected. And, you, you know, you'll... You'll, you you all might get to go to Japan someday. I mean, you might get to go there on a holiday, but you're never going to experience slightly drunk Nickel shouting, <laughs> all right, Japanese at people. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a stretch. Uh, enough uh, enough Japanese to be understood. Enough Japanese for them to politely reply in English. You got us by, and that's the <laughs> important thing. Um, Japan was really, really good, though. Um, we I think the first time I went was more of a kind of tourist experience, and this time was more of a appreciating the little things like the Shinkansen guys. <laughs> Which are your favourite things? No, they were great. Like the the um, the people who work on the Shinkansen, the the bullet trains, the high speed trains that connect all Japanese cities. Well, not all of them, but you know what I mean. The big ones. Yeah. Um. Like they, well, it's kind of like a Starfleet sort of thing. Like everyone's got their uniforms, but they have got their different colours depending on whether they're conductors or cleaning Aye. staff or things like that. But part of their uniform is these amazing Air Max looking guys that everybody trainers gets their, for, tra- for tra- non Scottish trainers listeners. for the international audience. Yeah. Uh yeah, uh, sneakers. Uh yeah, they're they're amazing and they're they're color coded depending on your function, which is very Japanese. And as you expect, video games are everywhere. Yeah, we should probably talk about video yeah, games. retro mostly. video games particularly. I mean, I came back with a lot of stuff. I don't know if you bought. Did you buy much? Um, all I bought was Taiko no Taisujin, that Dreamcast T-shirt, this that Dreamcast you're T-shirt that I'm wearing, wearing and um, uh, Ostatsuki and then. Oh, did you get two yeah, in the end? Yeah, I did. Did Jim get it? Because yeah, yeah, he got. It. We got it on the same day ah, in separate cool. shops. Like we were oh. both really excited to come back. So I, go, I got, I got two. Yeah, me. Uh, Where was it? At, at Joypolis, the guy was bigging up your. Uh, at Joypolis and also in like a, like two people at Sega Joypolis, which is Sega's massive indoor, indoor amusement park, park ah, yeah, which amusement is park, well, it's got big rides and big arcades, and it's oh, it's so great. Joypolis me, is amazing. Me and Joe played that. Um, Joe, you'll remember from one more go. Of course, <laughs> we played the this big House of the Dead thing where you sit in a big chair and it spins yeah. around. Uh-huh. We were fucking terrible at it. It was so good. Yeah, I went in with. I think it must have been Graham. Who uh, is is our friend? Yeah, uh, and like we went in one, and like uh, Danny, uh, another friend, uh, went in like at the same time, but he went in on his own, 
And like me and Graham, like the the game only lasts as long as you're good enough to keep it going. Mm. So me and Graham were in for like ten minutes, and then we were like waiting for like another fifteen for Danny to come out on his own. Yeah, he had he had a strong solo run. It was crazy. By the guy was loving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was like two staff members in Joypost who, who enjoyed my Dreamcast T-shirt, and one like sort of uh, uh, hipster skate shop place, like the guys. Oh, Dreamcast! I wonder if, uh, if the, the Joy Plus employees, do you think they hire people that are genuinely passionate about Sega or do you think it's kind of like, this is your life now? I think, I you think, are Nickel Hay. <laughs> I think Japan being Japan, there'll be like long uh, induction videos just telling them just how great Sega are. Mm. And you know, Sega being as great as Sega is, it probably doesn't take long for them to go, the Dreamcast was the best thing ever. Mm. Why did they stop? I think if I'd gone in wearing a Saturn t-shirt, then you know they would have just stopped the whole uh, experience and declared me the king of Odaiba. I pretty much I think I pretty much came back with everything that I wanted to get and a bunch of stuff that I didn't want to get you know just <laughs> like the thing the thing that I kind of expected was like a lot of Japanese older games are in good condition because the Japanese take care of their games mm-hmm. a lot better but I wasn't prepared for like the sheer quantity of like old boxed games well, this yeah, is everywhere I mean everywhere like the book off, every book off we went into just had like I got so much stuff I got like Twin B collection for PS One for like a couple of quid. Got FF Seven International for a couple of quid. Well, this is the interesting thing about like the the sort of culture of old games in Japan. The, the culture of old media generally. Mm. I mean, like we'd heard of uh, shops like Super Potato, which mm. is like quite a famous sort of specialist Incredi- retro, incredibly stressful shop. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, can I just can I just add the most stressful thing in Japan is not being able to figure out how things are ordered. Yeah, I was going to get it's to that. Fucking because well, they they, I mean, for, primarily they're in Japanese alphabetical order, which shock horror. Given they have a different alphabet, is not Western alphabetical order. But they also um, rack by genre. Genre. So and, and interestingly, all their genres are English words in Japanese script, but they're all like action, adventure, puzzle, spatsu. It took me a week and a half to find uh, Gradius Five, but I eventually. Eventually got it. In well, I think shop. That, that's why it took me so long to find um, Oenden too, just yeah. because I was looking in the wrong, uh, the wrong, the wrong um, uh, genre for it. I think, it, I think in the end, it's a, it's an action game. I think, right. uh, but like we were saying, like, uh, like, so we were aware that you know there are like sort of specialists retro video game shops and like mm. specialist areas of Tokyo that deal with all this sort of stuff. But the, something that we discovered is Bukov, um, as Barry mentioned, it's just this huge Aye. like second hand chain and you know you see it is just book off written in, in western script you think it's just four books but it turns out no like you can't go like sort of three streets without finding this place which has all the best pristine uh classic games from like Every, the all, game all boy the, era all the media all the way like, up like, yeah like boxed game boy games for like a few quid like akihabara is kind of like oh, it's the gamers mecca but mm-hmm. i think it's had the shine taken off it a lot since the first time i was there it's mostly just like japanese sex figures now, so yeah um yeah. super potato is still there but it's heinously expensive and kind of claustrophobic and not a good way um, the only game I bought from Super Potato ended up not working. I got all three SNES Parodius games, and the one I bought from Super Potato didn't work. But the two I brought, the two I bought from Mandaraki did work, and were also very cheap. Um, Mandaraki, I would highly recommend that and Book Off. Mandaraki tends to be slightly more specialist stuff. Mm. You're going to find more modern stuff in Book Off, but 
So it's Mandaraki a chain or is that just a specific Yeah, shop? it's a chain. Um, they all have different stock as well. There's one in Nakano Broadway, which I went to. There's one in Akihabara. I went into Akihabara. One of the soundtracks I wanted to get was a uh, very rude awakening regarding how expensive old Konami soundtracks are. Because one of the ones I wanted to get was the uh, Goyman 2 for N64 soundtrack. And they had a brand new copy of it, like still mm-hmm. in the shrink wrap. But it was like... It was like 110,000 yen, I think. Oh, so, jings. Yeah, it was like very, very expensive. That is, so. well, that's about uh, 110,000. Maths. <laughs> is it about, that's about £500, isn't it? Yeah. Jings. It was very expensive, so so that was that was unfortunate. But. Well, my biggest regret, no, not nearly at that sort of level of expense, but in Akiba I saw uh, a Japanese Saturn circle pad uh, in the Japanese colours I know you're aware so that's like white with like purple and green and yellow buttons absolutely pristine condition it was around about 900 yen so like less than a fiver I had literally zero cash on me Mm. so I had to run out and find an international ATM and by the time I got back the shop was closed and that was our last day in Japan and I've looked on eBay since for Japanese Circle Pad Pros it's not a fiver aye that's aye so, like you're saying, book offs amazing. There, I think anything you want, you'll pretty much be able to find as long as you're willing to spend a long time looking for it. So, pretty much, still a, a retro gaming mecca than Tokyo and yeah, we haven't even talked even about like the arcades that are floating around. With I like- know t- Taito Hay was really amazing. It had all all the Darius games, including like their massive screened original aspect ratio mm-hmm. kind of offshoots three Darius burst cabinets. I mean. Some arcades is mostly new stuff, but the retro arcades that are there, they're full of good stuff. Even in Shinsekai in Osaka, mm-hmm. which is kind of this really strange, out-of-time entertainment district. Shinsekai's really weird. Yeah, they had a lot of great arcade machines. They had Raiden 4 I played quite a bit of, and just a lot of great stuff. And, you know, the great thing about Japan is if you get bored of video games, as we all do from time to time, you can just walk in at any restaurant mate. and I, have the greatest food of your life. I felt like people were getting video games fatigued, but I, I could have spent several more weeks in shops looking for specific <laughs> games. For every single shop I went into, Super Robot Wars Pinball, not one had it. So that was the one thing I never came back with that I you were, thought I'd get. But you were balancing out your video games mania with your Gumpla mania, though. I was pretty reserved in the end, as opposed to Owen that filled his entire case with plastic models, which is fine. It's, so. It was a great plan. He bought, like, what, two t-shirts and a pair of trousers and saved the rest of his space for plastic, and it worked out beautifully for him. Whatever works. So, yeah, I mean, I came back with some really cool stuff. Um, oh, even, like, the um, like the, the good hotel that we stayed in in Tokyo had a, a wee SNES in the... In the break room, of course. How could we forget? I had a SNES and a PS. It was a PS2, but they had a bunch PS2. of PS1 games. Yeah, there's some good SNES games as well. They had tons of shmups like uh, Darius and, that and yeah, and they had one of the early J League games. Oh, so yeah, me totally. and Barry played it, and I absolutely cuffed him. And I bought uh, what do you call it, Larry Di- Larry Nixon's <laughs> Super Bass Fishing. For... Yeah, didn't you get like a, a, a ah, I, Larry Nixon Larry. tweeted me? He was like, "Great, love it." <laughs> so now it stays in the office. I can't remember how much it cost. I think it may have been a hundred yen, which is yeah, like some of the some of the really shitty the games, bargain bin stuff was real yeah. bargain bin stuff. So yeah, so yeah, we it was it was a great video gaming holiday. Um, lots of co- I mean, we could do an entire episode on stuff that we bought, saw, and played in Japan, but. And if you want to hear more of that chat, please uh, send us money so we can go back and bring you a regular series of yeah, uh, bargain hunting. And I'll maybe tweet some Japan. pictures of everything I got, like all the older games I got as well. 
it breaks my heart that we don't have an arcade culture because the amount of fun we had in arcades and the amount of fun that other people obviously have in arcades. It's oh, a total social thing. Just seeing the people like queuing up patiently for their shot on like this crazy rhythm action. Aye, games. My, my. Yeah, yeah. And like all of them being absolutely ridiculous yeah, savants. Think how much they must play it because they're so good at it. I could get that good if we had anything even remotely like that. But, but the best thing about my mind was they had the Burning Rangers theme on it and you I did. played it and it's one of the only truly happy moments I've ever experienced in my life. I played it as well. Was yours the the Japanese one as well? Eh? Yeah, yeah. I was quite sad it wasn't the English one. That's one <laughs> of the few tunes where I think I prefer the, the English version. But Tough break, man. Yeah. But no, it breaks my heart we don't have an arcade culture because... They're so just hundred yen a pop for an arcade machine as well. You can take a tenner and you'd be there for two hours. You know. Hundred yen, and they've now all got like sort of card systems and passport systems where you can like keep your characters and power up. And I had a great like time. I played Initial D for about four hours one night, just like doing the kind of character progression stuff, and that. It's just Mario Grand Prix too. Yeah, totally. It makes me real sad that we don't have that because and just having like a Tycoon or Tysogen game uh, machine. Basically everywhere, every, everywhere you look, Aye. and there'll be some overweight salary man battering fuck out of that drum. It's a shame. There's when when you consider the entire thrust of one more go is always trying to get people to play little known games or games that they maybe missed. The amount of those games that you can just play by walking into your average Japanese arcade is just mm. it's kind of it's kind of heartbreaking, but at the same time it's kind of it keeps it special when you go to Japan. I think so. It does make me wonder, like, do you think that's maybe why um, companies like Nintendo are so, not reluctant, but sort of slow to release like their old libraries on like eShops and things like that? Do you think it's because it's relatively easy to go out and get those classic games in Japan? Could be. I mean, I saw an arcade machine with Super Mario World on it, so it's, pretty, <laughs> it's like a dedicated, it's like, what one game will we put on this arcade machine? It's like, let's put Super Mario World on it. That reminds me, oh, here's a, here's a, here's a fun memory from my childhood. Um, going to visit my granny in the Washington Isles, the ferry that went across... All your memories start with that sentence, <laughs> i The ferry going across uh, the water from Sky used to have like a wee collection of arcade machines the, in the... Oofed. In, yeah. And one year when we were going across, there was this arcade machine which basically had the guts of a Mega Drive in it. And like you could take a pick from about a dozen games, but rather than just let you like put in 10p and play Sonic to completion, like you only got about three minutes of gameplay out of it. Uh, so you're like getting towards the end, like Green Hill Zone Act Two, and then it just like, starts flashing and stops playing. Mind that big, mind the big Nintendo box we saw. They used to have them in Japanese hotels. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like you put the money in, and then there's a button on it, and it gives you a time session of like one of eight games. Yeah, exactly like, oh, that. Yeah. Exactly that. So if you have, if you have any specific questions about anything we saw in Japan, please ask us because I mean there's so much stuff that we could really talk about it for hours. But so. please remember that Barry developed a pretty strong habit of drinking uh, 8% lager laced with fruit juices, so he might be a little hazy in I'm some I'm not even entirely sure it was lager. It must, have, <laughs> it must have just been like just alcohol with a wee bit of, <laughs> wee bit of lemon in it. It definitely tasted like super lager with like a hint of blood orange in there just to make it palatable. It took us so long to figure out that the lemon stuff was actually really bad, then I found the peach stuff and it was like, yeah. <laughs> now the holiday can begin. So there's been so much news has happened since we last recorded an episode. I just thought we could, you know, home mm-hmm. in on the stuff that's happened recently. Um, I always like to make people aware of fan translations. Um, recently, a couple of kind of latter day SNES RPGs have been fan translated. Um, I won't explain too much about these because, but you can go and have a look at them yourself, and chances are you might recognise them. But Dark Half, 
was a very late in the day SNES RPG, which has been translated by Aeon Genesis, doing their their good stuff. And uh, Daikaiju Monogatari, which I believe is some sort of Dragon Quest spin-off. But um, the interesting thing about Dark Half is it's made by the people that made Wonder Boy. All right. And it looks very, very kind of not like Wonder Boy. So go and check them out if you're looking for something new to play on the SNES. Um, also, in the, the vein of old games giving... In the vein of old games having a rebirth, um, Gunstar Heroes and Sonic 2... Gunstar Heroes coming to 3D Classics. Come on, I Sega mean, like, 3D Classics are so nice. good. Sonic Two would be nice, but Gunstar Heroes, come on. I'm excited about anything that comes to the, those Sega 3D Classics because they're so well made. I got Fantasy Zone One and Two, and they're just so good. The that amount of stuff true. you can do, like it's just great. Like uh, all the settings in that, it's so good. Outrun as well, it's amazing. Yeah, Out- Outrun and Space Harrier took up some of my uh, uh, flight over to Japan. Yeah. I did nothing on the flights. I just sat. <laughs> just sat and thought I watched the guy in front of me was watching is it 47 Ronin that samurai film with Keanu Reeves yeah. he was watching that and like there's a bit towards the end where they all like they all like go out in a field and do a big synchronised sword in the belly and then when that happened he just shook his head and switched it off it's like <laughs> got to witness that happening in the flesh that's um, the thing, you get like a, you know, like a, a tube full of like uh, a couple of hundred people, you look around, there's always going to be some interesting movie choices going on. Ah, uh, definitely. Um, but, well, uh, as a, a subtle little uh, recommendation at the side, if you fly Turkish Airlines, you get a free Turkish Delight, so... Uh, Aye, we did on the way back. Ah, uh, that's true. But we did, we got, it, we got it enough times for it to be great. There were no retro video games in Istanbul Airport. <laughs> no, but there were on the. Uh, you could play like a really bad version of Tetris on the uh, on the Wii Entertainment System on the plane, so that's great. Was there, are, are, you, are you just referring to chess? No, there was a version of Tetris as well. No way. I do like to think of chess as a bad version of Tetris. Though. <laughs> um, like chess was just like version one. They were sort of like, right, we, we, we can't make it work yet. We'll, we'll deal with this. Chess is the most retro game, I guess. <laughs> um, something that has come up in the news that I had to go and do a bit of reading about because I initially dismissed is a thing called the Retro VGS, which is a new cartridge-based system. Like, let me run that past you again. A new cartridge-based system. It's a new video game system that they want people to make games for on cartridge. Right. That okay, will have yeah. A sixteen bit aesthetic. Um I think the plan is to take it to Kickstarter once they know what they're doing with it properly. See if they can get it funded, but So what's the point? It's they say it's down to They say it's down to nostalgia and down to the fact that, you know, CDs don't have the physical worth that cartridges did, and I think it's mostly nostalgia. I mean, they, yeah, they, like they, the, they, they kind of want a return to solid state games consoles, which is yeah, which is an fun. interesting niche. But I mean, I, I I don't like I love cartridges, but I find it very hard to get excited about a new cartridge based system. So they're obviously missing the mark somewhere. It's, well, it's, I mean, it's very, it's very hipster, you know, those sort of like, oh, just like having something tangible. So like what you like, you know, making your production costs infinitely more if you just made it like a software console and like got people to buy ROMs. It seemed to, the thing If I you re- release like, just like um, a new, like a really nice control pad that you could plug into a PC or a Mac and made everything else 
software based i mean yeah you'd have mm. all the all the the benefits of like sort of saying like you know this is a a banner that we've got like the 16 bit aesthetic under and you know it would cost both you and your users much less from from what i understand is it's going to kind of be like a multi core system so you'll be able to kind of make different style 16-bit games for it. I may have misunderstood that, but I'm sure that's what I was reading. So you can develop a kind of Mega Drive style game for mm-hmm. it. But I don't, I don't, I don't know. But I mean, here's something that's incredible. This is so incredible. When I was looking at it, I was like, that looks really familiar. And then the article had said, oh, you know, if you think it looks like the Atari Jaguar, read on. And like, I can honestly not believe this. This is a quote directly from the article. Kennedy and his team have managed to track down the old industrial tools used to reproduce the original Atari Jaguar and its cartridges, which had been repurposed to produce dental equipment. <laughs> Before you got to the end of that sentence, I was going to say I'm willing to bet buying those industrial tools was probably less than it would cost to just, you know, make a cartridge-based console in this day and age. I can't believe... I can't believe that a they were using the old Jaguar industrial tools to make dental dental equipment. Like I don't, but the fact that they managed to track them down and were like, "Yeah, let's make this look like the Atari Jaguar." It's like get fucked. The Jaguar is so horrible. <laughs> yeah, the 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 king of all. Yeah, that that's the thing. Like 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 if you were going for this sort of hipster market of people embracing, you know, like blowing into the contacts again. You'd at least make it look sexy, not like a fucking Jaguar. It looks really horrible. I don't like the Jaguar anyway, but this one has obviously all the Jaguar branding off it, and they kind of tried to make it a bit more subtle. But it's shaped like a shaped like a kind of shite spaceship. It looks terrible. Maybe just everybody in the world's accepted that no console is ever going to look as good as the Mega Drive One ever again. Hmm. I'm not sure. I, I don't know how it works. I don't know how it'll work. Because who can afford to step forward and say, yes, we will make cartridge-based games for your console? It becomes very chicken and egg, doesn't they it? They must be funding the game. People will make the games and they're paying for it to go into their system. That's the only thing I can think of. Yeah. But like I said, I mean, it's very chicken and egg because you can't commit your development company to make a game that there's not going to be an audience for. But who's going to buy a console not knowing whether or not there's going to be any games on it? I know. I mean, and you still people are still making. There was that Mega Drive RPG came out recently. Yeah, and but that's you know that's for the Mega Drive. Well, yeah, it's different. I mean, Hewcast are still making Dreamcast games as well. So, but I think trying to the main problem this is that they're trying to make a new console. So you can't just say hello, we're making a new console. It's like the way the console market is, I think they'll really struggle. Their Kickstarter will get funded, but it'll be like oh yeah, it'll be like everything else. Yeah. It'll yeah. happen and then it'll suddenly be a complete non event. So sorry if we maybe sound a bit skeptical about that, but it just I'd rather just bang on the snares to be honest. I bet you would. But but Oh, but oh, here we go. Objection. So after after one more goes year long coverage of the Retron Five, and then it came <laughs> out, and it was a bit disappointing given that it was just a rom dumper in the end. There's a, there's a new kid on the block, Cyber Gadgets Retro Freak, which is t- <laughs> tiny, tiny wee console, wee white console that plugs into this massive like expansion bay uh-huh. that can take everything your your Retron Five could, but it has PC Engine support as well. Ooh. So you can slide your wee PC Engine cards in there. And it looks really good. 
So what's it called? Cyber Engine Game Freak? Cyber Gadget Retro Freak. Cyber Gadget Retro Freak. That sounds like the sort of thing somebody on like a mainstream sitcom would come up with as like the hot new gadget that the the teen son's going to save up all his allowance to buy. It probably makes me a terrible person as well, but the minute I saw it was being developed by Japanese people, I was like, it's going to be so much better. Yeah. It looks really good. Go and check it out. The the fact that... I mean, I almost bought a PC Engine in Japan, Mm -hmm. but it's just... Some PC Engine's weird. It's such a tiny wee light box. I'm like, is that a games? Am I going to buy the wrong thing? Because there's like the CD, the PC Engine CD in that as well. I don't know how it works. But with something like this that can already play other games, I can take a punt on some PC Engine stuff. So, See, that's the sort of thing. If they had... If they made this uh, that could take everything else, but also had like your brand new console chipset as part of the feature, Aye. then you got something. I think so. Um, so the Retro Freak can take everything apart from PAL NES games, basically. It can take Famicom, though, so if you get the pin switcher adapter, it can play them. So Richie's crying himself to sleep now. I know, I know, poor laddie. So that's one to look out for. It looks like it's going to be slightly cheaper than the Retron 5 as well. So Winner all round. Uh, so um, in, in beyond that, that bumper section of news and travelogue, um, we have played some video games. I have played Res for the Dreamcast. And I have played Poi Poi 2 for the PlayStation. Why don't you tell us about that right now? Right, stick with me while I'm explaining Poi Poi because it's one of those kind of mid-90s Konami games that's just a bit like it's very easy to understand what's happening when you see it but it's quite hard to mm-hmm. you know to, to explain um, so Poi Poi 2 known as Poiter's Point which Poi Poi obviously short for Poiter's Point but tell them tell them what you found out yeah. about <laughs> um, Japan has its own uh, series of onomatopoeia um, like uh, like wan for dogs. Wait, wait, yeah, yeah, wan, like the that's the noise that dogs make. Um, uh, guru guru is rolling over, which is uh, where like the gorons come from in, in Zelda, and uh, kuru kuru kuruin, mm-hmm. which is a, a fantastic game which you should check out. But um, if you're throwing things, that's poi. So and you do throw things in poi poi. So do you? The reason I picked poi poi too is because it's one of the few PlayStation games you can't play on the PS2. Oh, right. Oh, is it one of the ones where the emulation just, just can't handle it? I don't know why. There's no reason. It just doesn't work. Right, so anyway. The confusing thing about the, the Japanese name is the subtitle is Sodom no Inbo. So it's Pointer's Point 2, Sodom no Inbo. I don't know what no Inbo means in Japanese, but it's definitely the English word Sodom, as in Sodom and Gomorrah. So wow. I'm not sure what the... I don't know what I don't, know what, I don't understand. It's written in all caps on the cover as well. Sodom. <laughs> it's like, did this game get a Western release? Aye. Funnily <laughs> enough, from what I could find, it it got a simultaneous. It was released on the same day in Europe that it was released in Japan. Wow, which is very that's, strange. That's very weird. I mean, that might be wrong, but certainly that's all I could find on Wikipedia <laughs> and the only other website I could find that had any information about it. Um, so it's a PlayStation game made by Konami, released in 1998. Um, it's a 3D multiplayer action game about the fictional future game show turned Olympic sport Poi Poi. 
Um, it's a four-player battle game where you play on 3D stages and you pick up stage items like rocks, logs, bombs, and you throw them at the other players mm-hmm. and they take damage and when they're you know, when their health runs to zero, they've lost and you've won, funnily enough. So there are ten different stages and they all have their own kind of unique stage hazards and their own kind of quirky wee vibes. Um, one of the one of the things I really like about it, first of all, is, a, is opposed to picking up the stage items, you can pick up the other characters, which is always fun. But um, if a character retires, their lifeless corpse just lies in the stage and it can then be picked up and thrown as a weapon. Wow. That's pretty That's great. brutal. <laughs> but the, the big... The big kicker, though, is um, players also have special gloves called Psycho Gloves that use Psycho Power, which is represented by an on-screen meter, which is basically like your special powers. Mm-hmm. So damage is done by picking up an item and using your Psycho Glove to have its kind of special effect, um, which I'll get back to. There's 16 characters, and they all have different stats. So, for example, some are faster, some have a bigger Psycho Meter, so they can use their gloves more often. Um, and they range from like a ninja character called Kage, a guy with shades called Cool, which is <laughs> good naming, a big sumo guy called Yamada. There, um, and so the, the each the each have affinity with certain gloves as well. Okay. Um, which so what can you like mix and match? Yeah, anyone can pick any glove, but certain characters have certain affinities huh. with certain gloves. Now, you might think that it just sounds like a kind of wee fun game, but there are sixty gloves, sixty different gloves. James. All with different powers. Most of these gloves are upgradable, so they have like stage one and stage two. And some examples of what these gloves do. There's I use one called Rainbow, which fires like a big straight rainbow colored beam, does a lot of damage, but only fires in a straight line and looks um, immensely pretty. It's really nice. Uh, hammer, which is another favorite of mine, makes a giant holographic hammer that you can then run around hitting people with. Pretty good again. Tell me um, any video game which has not been improved by a hammer. I know it's it's hammers are so great. Like more hammers, please. Um, Maracas is a favourite one of mine because when you use it, all the characters are unable to move and they start dancing and it plays a sweet tune. That's fantastic. But you all lose health, you yourself included. <laughs> so like, if you get to a point where everyone's on really low health and you use it, you can just kill everyone, including yourself, in one go. And then there's stuff like Dwarf Gas, which makes all the characters tiny, and Giant, which makes your character massive. So there are, like with 16 characters and 60 gloves, there are a lot of... That's pretty great, cause, you know, like, so. a, like a, a cursory glance at the game just makes it look like a Rami, because you've got like four, ca- is it still just four characters on the screen? Yeah, four characters on screen at once running around throwing. Running around throwing, like you could easily just think, oh, it's just, throw- it's like it's like a Mario Party stage or something like that, but no, oh, there's, a, there's a lot more going on in it. Especially with the, the way the stages work as well, like I said, they all have their own hazards, so there's one called Sky Cube, for example, which collapses after a while, mm-hmm. and like the lower level collapses, so you take fall damage. One of my favourite ones, Park, has a giant dinosaur egg in it. And when you pick it up, one of three dinosaurs hatches out of it and it attacks the other people. Nice. Pretty good. Um, so the players, the way you win is you're given points for direct hits. You get one point for each direct hit on an enemy. You can collect lucky gold hearts, which are two points each. Um, and then your finishing, finishing position gets you a set number of points as well. First place gets 12, second place gets 6, third place gets 4, fourth place gets 2. So, right, that, so you can ha- not have the most energy left at the end of a round and still win the round. Correct. You can hit no one and just pick up gold hearts. There's a glove that spawns gold hearts. Right. So if that's you know your strategy, you can just collect luck points instead of trying to attack anyone. But a lot of it is staying out of people's way because the stage hazards just make it 
like chaotic. There's an ice level which is because you're you're sliding on an ice level, obviously. So you're doing this, and there's like these wee penguins that slide around and attack you, mm-hmm. and it's it's actually a struggle to even pick stuff up on that stage. So you're just mostly you're spending half your time trying to attack people, and the other half just trying not to get hit by a million things. Is there a tactical thing with like how heavy the item you can pick up is? Because it seems like they, they struggle a bit with larger items. There's there's like big rocks and wee rocks. Wee rocks you can pick up quicker and they do less damage, whereas mm-hmm. big rocks are harder to pick up. But again, your character has a strength stat too. Sure. So that affects how quickly they can pick up items. So hopefully everyone's built up an idea in their head of what this looks like. It's very colourful. Um, very kind of quirky the fact that it's like I said it's like a, a future game show turned Olympic sport so it's presented like a game show Bet- mm-hmm. before each round there's a presenter that announces the combatants and it's like a big TV spectacle it's a bit like buzz at times ah totally no that's, that's actually that's a good call um, so there's the main kind of single player campaign uh, which is Poi Poi Cup where you choose a character and you pro- progress through different tournament mm-hmm. stages earning money your money can then be used to buy gloves because not all the gloves come unlocked at the start so you buy new gloves with money and then you have them upgraded with money and then you can use them in the multiplayer yeah. aspect. And there's a really kind of tenuous storyline about a kind of shady organisation, a conspiracy and kind of psycho glove science gone too far. Um, but the funny thing about this is all, all this information is fed to you through a malfunctioning robotic parrot that spits out floppy disks. <laughs> <laughs> so at the start of every cup, you have your wee kind of green room where you buy gloves and there's like a room with a vending machine that has this parrot in it. So so every time you win, you get a new disc and you get some more information about this really, really basic, tenuous storyline. But That's great. It always fascinated me as a kid because it drip feeds you this kind of thing and then once you get a certain amount of gloves and you beat the last stage of the tournament, you get taken to like a secret stage where you have to fight these four goblins. And I, like I, that as a kid blew my fucking mind. I was like, "Oh my god!" So like, what if I if I hear too much of a story, I might have to fight a goblin. The thing is, constantly like ripping out the last three pages of every book. You it had it foreshadows like the goblins in the discs you get up to that point as well, and then you have to fight them. All of a sudden, it's like shit. And then once you get all the discs, there's like a big super boss that you have to fight to get the last glove. And these so, are just like you know the sportsmen of this world. The Olympic athletes of this world. Yeah, yeah. Imagine, you know, fucking Usain Bolt got a bit too good at running and he had to fight some goblins. I, I think everyone should wear like cycle gloves to their like <laughs> javelin. I mean, cycle. There is a glove called javelin, funnily enough, but I'm pretty sure it's just a fireball instead of an actual javelin. So, can you imagine how much better Mario and Sonic the Olympic Games would be with a poi poi stage? That'd be pretty great. The variety is really in the gloves, though. Um, I mean, I could explain all the gloves, but. It's just it's, it's as wild and varied as you imagine. There's one that lets you turn into an item, so you can just sit around and avoid being damaged for the entire round. Which <laughs> Do you is... get any points if people throw you at other people? That's a good question. Maybe you do. See? Get more in depth. Some of my best multiplayer memories are like four-player poi poi with mates. It does sound absolutely perfect for multi-tap, but it also does sound... Really cruel that this game came out PlayStation era uh, because this sounds absolutely perfect for for online. Poi Poi One and Poi Poi Two aren't that different, but the ad- the stuff they added to Poi Poi Two definitely makes it mm-hmm. a better game. It's and there's nothing like this now that you could like play in or not in an online arena. No, I the mean same sort of- there's plenty of four player stuff, but there's 
None of these real kind of round arena 3D. It's mm-hmm. kind of like Power Stones. Yeah, totally. But I mean, is there anything like Power Stone? It's like no, it's not. Maybe not a popular format anymore, which is weird because I'd love to play something like that in the age of online. But I guess Smash is the closest you get. But it's really nothing like Smash Bros. No, not at all. Yeah, I'm trying to think there, but yeah, you're you're right. There's there's nothing really there, and it seems weird like recording as we are right in the the heart of Splatoon mania. Mm. That you know, like everyone's going daft for it. That there isn't more of these just sort of like colourful, fun, simple mechanic, deep, uh, deep execution games out there. We should have a sad jingle that we play on one more go every time we mention a abandoned Konami IP because <laughs> Poi Poi is emblematic of that. Something that came out at the height of their success during the PS One era and was really fucking good, but just will never be seen ever again and it's interesting because it's not like it was it wasn't nobody's that worked on it the music was written by akira yamaoka who did all the silent hill music all right which yeah. is like go and listen to the music it's um it's, it's unbelievable that he did it because he's known for like his atmospheric kind mm-hmm. of music and the poi poi music is like kind of like funky modern game show music it's just so i mean they had like a lot of good people working on it who were obviously just I think the way Konami did is they got pushed into fewer and fewer projects and they all left and now now we have what Konami is. Great. Yep. Um so it's a real shame, but uh, this is this is the next real shame though, because it's incredibly hard to play because it's one of the tiny, tiny minority of PS one games that won't play on a PS two. Uh-huh. And because it won't play on a PS two, it also won't play on a PS three. Because no. you know the PS 3s emulation is basically yeah. the PS two stuff. But the good news is, and the reason I played it is because I recently bought a PSP and uh-huh. put custom firmware on it, and you can make any PS1 game into an eboot. And the good news is, Poi Poi 2 works on a custom firmware PSP. Yeah! So if you have a PSP with custom firmware on it, I will absolutely urge you to go legally and give buy a, shot a copy of Poi Poi 2 and, and then find a way to put it on. But your- that's its own unique heartbreak because you can't play the multiplayer. So the only way you're ever going to experience the multiplayer of this game is to have a PS1 copy with a PlayStation 1 and a multi-tap and enough friends to play it. I was doing so well there until that final hurdle. It's a real shame because it's... PS1 is... All my best multiplayer memories are PS1. Like Blazing Blade was another big one. It was a four-player RPG for PS1 that I played the balls off. That and Poi Poi 2. Unholy War. Stuff like that. Future Cop. The, those were the real kind of with my pals multiplayer experiences that defined my childhood and adolescent gaming. So, so that's why you're like this, basically. Yeah. But if you ever have the chance to play it, go and give it a shot. At least go and check out some videos of it because it's just a really fun, really nice little tightly made game. More Konami magic that we will unfortunately never see the like of ever again. Now, bear with me. I'm new to the PSP, so this won't be a concise, in-depth history of the console. It'll just be some thoughts and feelings about a wee thing I've come to enjoy quite a bit. A kind of prologue to a later Barry T machine story that's yet to be written. In a recent article about the end of Japan's golden age of games development, Wired's Chris Kohler refers to the PSP as largely forgettable. Now, despite being relatively uninvested in the system at the time, this bothered me. Maybe it's my social media echo chamber, but the PSP still seems pretty popular to me. And in fact, the thing that finally pushed me towards PSP ownership was just how much people still talk about it. 
So here we are, 10 years later, have finally come around to Sony's flagship handheld, the PlayStation Portable. The PlayStation Portable, officially abbreviated as PSP, was Sony's first major foray into the handheld market. It was announced at E3 2003 and was officially unveiled on May the 11th 2004 at a Sony press conference. The system was released in all territories later that year and was the main rival of Nintendo's DS. I say rival, but the market space occupied during this time was the wee sliver of revenue below the DS's solid gold boot. That said, five design revisions, 80 million lifetime units sold and a 10 year production run are proof that perhaps the PSP was more of a success than has been reported since. If you can guess uh, what the title is going to be by the way this game will actually start. As a matter of fact, this screen also brings back memories for me as well. Um, I'm sure it does for some of you, uh, and I'm sure you're dating yourself by saying that you remember. I don't know if you remember this uh, particular uh, opening. This was actually on the original PlayStation game as well when it was loading the game. Of course, I'm not a very good uh, player even there. Game is powered by Namco. It's Ridge Racer. Ridge Racer. Remember that one? All right. So let me uh, let me go right ahead. Get right into the game. Oh, this brings back memories. I don't know if it's just me, but here we go. Whoops. The PSP came in five varying flavors, and I've personally opted for the PSP Go which features DualShock 3 support and also TV docking support at the expense, though, unfortunately, of the UMD drive, which means I won't be picking up Advent Children for 99p out of a CEX anytime soon. Man, these graphics are nuts! Yeah, they got more flavor than a pistachio. No doubt. I'd whip you head to head. What? Squirrel, please. You have about as much skills as a chipmunk. Yo, mama's a chipmunk. Oh, no! He got denied just like you get denied by the lady. Shoot, if I had a ship like that, the girls would be all over me like salt on a peanut. Hells yeah. Hells yeah. PSP. Hells yeah. It's an old one more go cliche that we've repeated ad nauseum by this point, but a console's worth is in its game library, and to say that the PSP's is varied is a dramatic understatement. It has pretty much everything. Definitive ports like Castlevania's Dracula X Chronicles, Final Fantasy Tactics, Parappa the Rapper, has obscure sequels like The Third Birthday, that not very good Parasite Eve game. There's Dissidia, the Final Fantasy Brawler, and Crisis Core, the Final Fantasy VII prequel, there's DJ Max, Initial D, Guitaru Man, there are Ace Combats, there's Mega Man and Ghosts and Goblins games, Metal Gear, Metal Slug, Gundam, Ape Escape, Katamari, and the Shmups. Let's talk about the Shmups. Like the Saturn before it, the PSP has become a bit of a Shmup legend, largely thanks to Konami's various compilations. The PSP has an extensive Gradius collection, a Parodius collection, a Twinbee collection, and a Salamander collection, which has a very, very good port of Zezex on it. It's a wee handheld shmup fest, and if those were all it played, if that was all the PSP did, it just played those Konami compilations, you'd still be looking at one of the best handhelds ever made. Luckily, the PSP offers a mostly affordable back catalogue, but if you are the kind of person that has a black heart and a peg leg, then custom firmware is a viable and also very easy option. The CFW is particularly great because it gives you access to every original PlayStation game ever via an e-boot wrapper. Very nice. 
As a side note, you're going to be hearing about how the PSP is a great emulation machine. And it is capable of emulating a lot of things, but I'm just not really sure it does it very well. Especially, which is very annoying, you'd expect the SNES emulation on a PSP to be good. But it's not, and that's very disappointing. So I'm sure by this point your wallet's flying out of your pocket. And the good news is you can get a PSP basically anywhere. I got mine an immaculate PSP Go for £40 second hand. And even Sony's horrendous proprietary format memory cards are going cheap now. So if you've got money to invest in the back catalogue, or you can get your head around the very simple CFW process, oh, and also if you can justify pirating original PlayStation games, what you have in the PSP, to me, is an essential handheld. Essential. And I'm not really sure what the full cultural impact of the PSP has been, and I'm not even really sure what it is now, but I do know that from now on I'm basically just going to be another one of those people that evangelises about it. So get a PSP. Largely forgettable, my arse. So, Nicole, you've been vibrating your tits off playing Rise. I certainly have. Uh, in 2001, on the Dreamcast and the PlayStation 2, uh, the unrivaled game developer Tetsuya Mizuguchi released probably his definitive game. Mm. Um, this came after Space Channel 5, but before Space Channel 5 Part 2. Um, I mean, like it would be, it's a, it's a crime that this isn't one of the most famous games in the world. Like, just such a, a wonderful, unique experience. Functionally, it's a rail shooter in the, the vein of, like, a, a Space Harrier or a Panzer Dragoon sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like the, uh, each level follows, like, a, a set path with your your shooty guy floating in the middle and you're controlling his aiming reticule to uh, take down some wonderfully designed uh, enemies. But, like, the, um, like I say, the, the main point of it uh, is something that is sort of like a, a real thrust behind uh, Mizuguchi san's games is the integration of music and art and design and aesthetic into the gameplay experience um uh, to the extent that like it, it it's sort of uh, labeled as a, a synesthesia sim um synesthesia is a condition where your senses are kind of cross wired mm-hmm. so like people with this condition can like see sense or um hear uh, textures that sort of thing they get sort of like different uh different signals for different inputs um but there is a like a a credit at the start of the game uh like it's dedicated to the the genius of Vasily Kandinsky uh the famous artist who uh, made lots of colors and shapes look lovely um, <laughs> that's what artists generally that, that do. That is what they do, but you know, like Kandinsky was really into the colours and the shapes. Mm. There is a plot to it which is almost completely irrelevant when you're actually playing the game. Oh. 
the idea of it is that um, somewhere in the future, uh, mankind has this huge network that everything in the world is is based on. Everything goes through this uh, uh, network called uh, Project K, and it's being run at the centre of it by an AI called Eden, who uh, one day like becomes self aware and like shuts herself off, and like the whole mainframe is completely sealed off and like you know nobody in the world can do anything so you play like a brave hacker who's trying to get through eden's defenses back in the time when hackers were game protagonists yeah and uh, and apparently the way that you do this is by like you know floating in this weird virtual environment and uh, shooting the defenses that eden puts up against you what a virtual environment what a virtual just lush um wireframes like lots of weird uh, Egyptian influences and mm. um, I mean it's really difficult to describe because there's so much going on in there but um, I mean I guess like if you watch someone playing Wipeout but shook your head back and forth really quickly while you're doing it just that sort of general smear of colour but really organised smears of colour mm. would kind of kind of get it but it always makes me think of like old wireframe arcade games as well it's like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah, but I mean, it, it is beautiful. It is so unique. Like these sort of weird landscapes that kind of look half formed and then they they're not, and the different themes to each of the levels. Like it is trying to create cyberspace. I mean, it is a very sort yeah. of William Gibson influence in there as well. The idea of these uh, virtual spaces that you're you're floating around in and interacting with. But again, so it's like it's Star, Star Fox meets the Matrix. <laughs> Let's, let's never play that game. <laughs> that 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 might be the worst thing that's ever come out of your mouth. Um, one in, one thing I really want to ask you about is I know I'm probably rushing your head here, but please tell us about the soundtrack, Nicole. The soundtrack is gorgeous. Yeah, so um, yeah, I will get to that because uh, there's an arc, there's a narrative arc here. I, I just really want to talk about the soundtrack. The soundtrack is. Phenomenal. Well, you go see your right. Okay, so the actual gameplay in terms of like shooting people down, it's not just like a constant stream of bullets. Your your um, avatar can shoot eight shots at a time. So basically, like you hold down the fire button, hover it over enemies, and they will lock on, and you can lock on lock on to up to eight targets at a time. And then when you release, it'll send off beams, uh, laser beams, to shoot these guys. But crucially. The shots are released in time with the music. This is all part about making it an immersive thing. So the shots will will go off so that you will hit enemies like on like the one, two, three, four, um, uh, in time with the music rather than like in time with how you selected them. Yeah, and like the the sounds of you hitting them are beats in the music. So the more enemies you hit, the more pumping your soundtrack is. Um. Also, the way that each level is based, um, you get like a little section of sort of shooty action, and there's um, like a, a data node that you need to, to hit at the end to like get full eight hits on that. Mm-hmm. To do like what the, the game des- de- describes as analyzing the data, and every time you do that, you've you've analyzed the system ten percent more, and the idea is to get up to a hundred percent analyzation before you you reach the boss. Uh, and the way this manifests in terms of the game is that um, every time you, you go through like that 10% stage of analysis, the background gets a bit more detailed and the soundtrack adds another layer. Yeah. When you start each layer, you've basically just got like very sparse beats, 
maybe a tiny little sub-melody somewhere. But the more analysation you get, adds another layer to it until at the end you've got these full-on pumping techno tracks. It's quite a that popular phenomenon. It's quite a popular thing with game to an extent games like Audio Surf and then stuff mm-hmm. like Polynomial, Beat Hazard, uh, the PC games, and I guess even Infinity Gene recently kind of reminded me a bit of Res, the Space Invaders one. Okay. Did you play that? No. That's like oh yeah. So so yeah, Res was really the progenitor i guess of that kind of the 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 basic wireframe stuff within the visuals building around it because it's mm-hmm. quite a popular thing now well maybe yeah. not now but it was for a few years yeah certainly um, um i think uh, the the title mobile and arcade game uh groove coaster shares quite a lot of terms that's like a sort of rhythm action game where you're like going along a thread and like beat events sort of yeah. come across there but like there's that big sort of colorful cyberspace thing going on in the background and again, the idea is the better you do, the more of the the soundtrack that you mm. you eventually get. But yeah, like so, basically, your your involvement in the game is, you know, like there, there's the challenge of defeating the enemies and beating the game, but also the better you are at it, the more full your aesthetic experience is. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, to me is like that's possibly the greatest reward there is in video games. Yeah, you know, no, definitely. Um, there are like in terms of the actual shooty gameplay parts of it. Um, there are there are things that you can pick up. Um, there's like smart bombs which are called overdrives, which will you know your your smart bombs will take over the shooting for a while to mm-hmm. make sure you get everything on screen. But also uh, progress nodes. Um, you start off as like a sort of boxy wireframe man, mm-hmm. but you've got um, like a eight eight bars on a on a progress meter to fill in yep. for like every eight one you you evolve to a next level which effectively i mean it, it means you get like a nice new um uh, model to look at he, he evolves from like sort of boxy wireframe man to slightly smoother wireframe man to a guy with a shiny skin to a buddha sitting inside a, a wireframe globe to just like a, a spark the ultimate Evolution of all hackers, of <laughs> yeah, course. Yeah, of course. Zen beings. Uh, but the, the, the practical effect of this is that you get an extra hit. Um, like, if you get hit by any bullets or enemies coming towards you, you'll, like, de-evolve yeah. down one one step. Um, so, you know, if you fully evolve, it basically means you've got, like, five hits before your uh, the system mm-hmm. chucks you out and you have to start hacking it all over again. Um It's an amazing learning curve, the way the game develops, like, on the, on the first level. Like, the enemies will sort of pop up and bob in front of you and go away. Hardly any of them will even try to shoot at you. Um, but eventually, you know, they'll, like the occasional one will start shooting missiles at you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only way they can really hit you, but you, you're able to sort of shoot them out of the air before they, before they touch you. Uh, but then, like, w- once you get to sort of later levels, like th- third level especially, there's just like this storm of uh, missiles heading towards you. Now, not all of them will actually hit you, and part of the challenge of the game is learning which ones that you actually have to shoot out of the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- it just becomes so um, visually arresting, so visually complex, just to see like, like this storm of craft and ships, because they are sort of... It's like it's like the worst reference I could make, but it it looks like it looks like what um, Richie imagines Babylon Five actually lo- looked like. You know, the, uh, like the, these sort of like beautiful, beautifully designed like ships, sort of like floating in the distance, and these um, huge 
um, like worm-like things, like the 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 bad guys at the end of the first Avengers film, mm-hmm. like those big sort of space worms. Like there, there, there's things like that floating around. So you feel like really tiny inside this huge traffic jam of like alien spacecraft. There's I'm, these like I'm, big- kind of, I'm kind of offended that you tore tore down my reference then when you then compared it to <laughs> the Avengers and Babylon Five. <laughs> Uh, I'm t- like trying to sort of pick out sort of ship design, but uh, like it's it's this, these really cool like they they they're almost all sort of look like insects turned uh. into into spaceships. Um, that's kind of the vibe it goes for because I think like these defenses as well as being defenses are also kind of meant to be viruses. So that's kind of the thing. Like yeah. a lot of them sort of resemble like um, you know like the the little sort of creatures you get living inside like water droplets or bacteria or things like that as well. Um, but you know, you also get like these huge sort of battleship-looking things that you have to destroy quickly, otherwise they'll they'll unleash a, a hail of missiles at you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the bosses at the end of each stage, you'll get a, a a boss that is just beautiful designs, like really really abstract things, like like big sort of planets with tentacles that you have to. Uh, destroy bit by bit there's this um one boss which is like a it's almost like a huge cube that unleashes like um like fleets of spaceships at you and mm-hmm. fleets of, of of bullets and it's surrounded by a shell of interlocking hexagons that shoot laser beams at you uh one of them is like a this uh polygonal running man it's like the like like the, the central thing is this like, like sort of core uh, uh, flying disc thing, but it has this huge collection of uh, like polygons that it forms around them, and it becomes like a wheel or a, like a great big fist to hit you or, or a running man, yeah. and you're just sort of like hurtling through this this corridor chasing after it. It's my my words are completely inadequate to describe mm. the beauty of Res, um, and like it all reaches its apogee in the the fifth and final level, um, which has some pretty cod Japanese uh, running commentary about evolution, which is kind of weird, but like the, the landscape sort of follows this. Like it talks about like uh, the rise and fall of epo- of uh, biological epochs and mm-hmm. things like that. So it starts out sort of like a, an ocean sort of vibe with like little like bits of kelp sort of floating around and it becomes like these like big wireframe forests which sort of like die and then there's like huge rib cages and things you fly fly through and ah uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop now because it's just great. But the music on that final level, um uh Fear, which is uh, a great techno track which uses a um a sample from the song uh California Soul. and uh, it's amazing. Like they that song actually that tune actually like the for a game like this, as you imagine, they released the soundtrack, which was quite popular. Well, that song wasn't on it. I think possibly because of sample clearance. The funny thing about about Res is like I came to the Res soundtrack before I actually played the game because yeah. it had like uh, Freeland and Cold Cut on it, and that mm-hmm. is how I came across the Res soundtrack. So I've been listening to the Res soundtrack for a while before I even played the game because it came out in that era when I wasn't really playing games, to be honest. So right. especially not games like this. Like I hadn't really discovered my love of. Shoot him ups at that point. So, well, your boy Adam Freeland is the guy behind yeah, totally. uh, Fear. Um, but uh, just very recently, some uh, clever gentleman called uh, Renard uh, like mined all the like the individual sound files off of the the game and basically created an arrangement of the Ooh. full song. So, um, if you want to get online and search out Fear 
uh, GoGo GST Res version by Adam Freeland, arranged by Renard. You can uh, listen to that full song in all Very its glory nice. now. And uh, I highly recommend you do because it is absolutely top notch. Uh, just do it. Just do it. And um, there are other modes outside of the game. Like um, you want, once you've sort of unlocked like the the five levels and, and defeated it, you've got the option of what they call a direct assault or score attack. Direct assault is basically all five of the levels strung together, mm-hmm. but like a higher difficulty. There's more enemies. It's less forgiving for how long they're up. They shoot more missiles at you. Score attack, obviously. Uh, try and get a higher score yeah. uh, and the really interesting mode uh, travelling which is essentially a chill out mode you can go through the whole game but the enemies can't hurt you mm-hmm. so it's kind of like a chill out room if we're if we're going to continue with like our late 90s <laughs> yeah, uh, I was going to say we're, getting, we're getting, and, uh, yeah. getting into playstation territory here but yeah that's the idea I mean, e- that, Ecky's I, mode basically yeah, yeah. that's kind of the um, that's kind of like the, the ultimate thing that the game's sort of saying like this is more about the experience in the game. Like, yeah. I don't think the game's particularly hard. I mean, like, I can play it, so it can't be that fucking difficult. But <laughs> uh, no darts. But <laughs> yeah, but like, I love the idea of a game sort of including a mode, sort of like, look, it's okay, just just experience. Well, it. the good thing about it is, I mean, it's not a shit game either. It's like it's to to have such great gameplay but also to have the gameplay not the primary focus if you know what I mean exactly yeah I mean like if you wanted to get deep into it as a sort of like hardcore game then you know the challenge of well, like score, you get score attack and that as well so. yeah score attack but you also get stats at the end of the each level like um, enemy percentage shot down and uh-huh. uh, support item collected so you know getting 100% and all of those is, is very very difficult yeah. but um, if you want to do that that's great but also if you just want to sit back and listen to the music that's in there for you and that for me like actually really describes the uh, my relationship with res mm-hmm. like more than any other sort of game that we we talk about in this show when i go back to it it's like listening to an album that i used to enjoy so it's mm-hmm. it's like dipping back into that uh frame of mind more than it is like remembering how to play a game mm-hmm. like you know remembering like your little uh, you know the, the the precise timing of the jumps that you needed to beat Super Mario World or something like that. With yeah. with Res, it's just sort of like being in that aesthetic space, and it it never gets old. It never dates. It's just gorgeous. Tell us about the the trans vibrator. I will, Barry. Um, Have you got the trans vibrator? I don't because I I've got it on Dreamcast. It the trans vibrator was only for for PS2. Um, so. Part of Mizuguchi-san's uh, uh, effort to, you know, sort of make this as close to, like, such an all-encompassing audio-visual experience, he was concerned that the uh, sound systems most people had connected to their TV wouldn't be able to transmit the bass that these uh, that these songs really required for you to feel them. So he created this little um, USB plug-in vibration device. It's, like, basically... Kind of the size of an iPad, but iPad Mini maybe. It's yeah. not that big, but it's just like a wee slab of vibrating plastic. Came in a wee pouch as well. Like. It did, yeah. Certainly, in case you needed Discreet. to put it in any areas. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, his idea was kind of like you'd sit it on your lap or put like um, I think traditionally the idea was you put it under your feet. So you know you'd sit like on the edge of a chair, with your feet mm-hmm. on the floor, and your your feet on the 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 trans vibrator. So you'd feel like you know like you're in a club. You kind of feel the the music through the the the, the bass resonating yeah. through the through the building uh, and 
just what a, a great little thing. Mm. What, what, it's just nice that somebody is. Uh, as niche as Mizuguchi once had the clout within Sega to get them to make well, something like that. I was, I was like just going to say, like, it blows my mind that I got made. Like That would never happen now. You could never get a peripheral made off the back of a game like Rez. I don't no, think. no, absolutely not. Um, it just kind of shows you the risks that Sega were taking at the height of the Dreamcast era. Mm. Uh, and sadly gone now. But one of the cool things is um, the, the, you can get Rez... Uh, the only way you can get Res now, apart from buying the disc, is there's an HD version on Xbox Live Arcade for the 360. If you're still playing your your 360s, Came so, so, so many wonderful games like with HD remakes locked out of history forever because no one has a 360 anymore. No, Banjo Kazooie, Banjo Tooie, uh, that Symphony of the Night remake. Yeah, I know they might uh, they might re-release them on Xbox One. Live arcades for your Xbox One. Everybody got an Xbox One? Everyone really enjoying their Xbox Ones? My dad's got one this one in this house, Nicole. Really? Don't say it too loudly. I feel dirty just knowing that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, like the the way they um, <laughs> the way they kind of uh, simulated the the legacy of the trans vibrator for the the HD remake was that you had the option of like the the four other control pads that you wouldn't be using playing the single player game you could still activate them and they would all vibrate in time with the music so you could just sort of arrange your 360 pads about your person to uh, to get that uh, club vibe up, up your shirt or you could just put the 360 on the floor because I imagine like, <laughs> yeah. the resonance of a 360 on a floor is going to be like being in a nightclub anyway yeah you're not going to get the beat but you'll certainly feel something yeah definitely um so yeah, um, difficult to. Pl- I mean, obviously, I would recommend. Why don't you own a Dreamcast? For God's sake, buy a Dreamcast. Aye, aye. By now you should. And, <laughs> Everyone uh, listening to this show by now should at least have two Saturns, <laughs> maybe three or four Dreamcasts. Yep, absolutely. And uh, but there is a, a spiritual sequel that Mizuguchi San made uh, for the PlayStation Three and the the three sixty mm. uh, in two thousand eleven called Child of Eden. You love Child of Eden. Yeah. I really like Child of Eden. I mean. I don't it's, think it was that well received though in general, was it? Well, it's a weird thing because it was made like well, it was made primarily for Connect. Ah. Uh but you on the PlayStation you can use it with the move. You can also use the control pad, that's how I play it. I don't I don't have a move. I've I can got a move and a connect, unfortunately. <laughs> <so>. No excuses. <laughs> I don't know about Connect, but I could see it working really well with Move. Just because, you know, I mean, like with all sort of real shooters, you there is a certain amount of latency trying to use a, ah. a control stick to move your, your targeting reticule. So I can, I can imagine it working really well with Muth. Uh In terms of the actual game, it's one of those weird things. Like, if I was to look at it objectively, Child of Eden looks better. Uh, they've added some really cool uh, gameplay features. Like, uh, in Child of Eden, you've got, like, you've got the same sort of lock-on up to eight targets shooting mechanism, but you've also got, like, a, a sort of railgun that you use to, like, certain enemies are coloured purple. They wear, like, sort of purple armour, or uh, missiles are coloured purple that need to be shot down with this railgun. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know you need to be constantly sort of switching between those two weapons. Mm. Uh, and also, like if a if a missile is incoming and is going to hit you, it has like this really sort of uh, dissonant bass drone into the soundtrack. Okay. So like it's just another way that involves the uh, the soundtrack for you. So yeah, like um, it looks better. It's got more gameplay. Um, so basically, you're saying play Child of Eden instead of Res? No, because there's just something there that's not quite the same as Res. Oh, okay, so play, play both Rez. of them. All right, okay. play both of them. That's a cop out. You can't. Eh? 
Uh, if you're only going to play one, play Rez. Okay. But play both of them. So, uh, leading on from the Rez Transfiberator we thought we'd get you involved with, we question this month, as always, which was, if you could make a peripheral for any currently existing, pre-existing game, what would it be and what would it do? So we got a lot of really good answers about this one. And we'll start off here one from Blue Ninja, which says, A razor for Witcher 3 that would allow me to shave my facial hair and gel simultaneously, resulting in us being beard twins. Excellent answer. I do worry that we've been away for so long, people have forgotten that this is an old video game podcast. Unless I'm mistaken, Witcher is about as new as video games get. Yes. Still, though, thank you for your answer, because, you know, beard synergy, we are... That'll be the future, is like... When you're getting connected into your, <laughs> it's not your just Xbox for game. it's not just for weirdos dressing up as Sonic anymore. Ross Fubster, Fubster, we were talking about this yesterday. Ross Filibuster uh, <laughs> comes in and says a big black hole for Metal Gear Solid: The Twin Snakes. I could put all the world copies in the hole. It doesn't not well actually. I was going to say I'm not sure that would uh, increase your gameplay experience, but. Possibly it would. Uh, it'd be weird because you know, like time, time moves slower the closer towards the black hole you are. You I, I've seen it. I've seen Interstellar. I know how it works. You just like locked in an infinite moment of playing twin snakes and being very disappointed. Just snake back flipping over that door forever. So th- thanks for that, Ross. That's. I felt like you could have had a better answer than that, but <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. I, just, I, ex- I expect more from. I expect more from eighty seven. Thank you, anyway. Thanks for waiting eight months so patiently for us, guys. X2 Elia says, a power boot for Dead Space games. Think Nintendo Power Glove, but for your foot. Stomp action is go. Power power any limb. Is I want a, a game where you, where you step on cockroaches with a power boot. That would be kind of... That sounds like something that could exist in Japan. An arcade game where you have to <laughs> use a communal boot. <laughs> like like Wanny Wanny Panic, only we cockroaches come out and you stand on them with a big boot. Would these be virtual? We're making games. Like, no. Would, would, would you have like a like a like a screen on the floor? No, it'd be like you know, Wanny Wanny Panic, where the crocodiles come out and you hit them with it. The... Oh, okay. It'd right. be like that. Only they'd come out at ground level, and you'd have to wear the stinky. I was going to say, arcade, like, but... would they have like a real life cockroach colony living inside this machine? That's that. No, let's not talk about that. <laughs> that that's that was horrible. Um, RuneScape Classic. Um, what what a clever man he! I think he he picked up on what we were getting at here. Uh, it says the res vibrator, <laughs> but it doubles as a glow stick. Two two res vibrators. <laughs> that's that's Mizuguchi San's absolute dream. That's what he was aiming for. Mecha Gamezilla suggests a steering wheel for Mario Kart, which plays the Funhouse theme on a loop. Did you see that Funhouse? We we saw a thing in the office recently. It was an article. Funhouse is back. Really? We were like, it's coming back to TV. But no, they're just doing a one-off thing for like a chain of carveries. Carveries. Aye. It was like, wow, it was like Harvester or Brewer's Fair or something like that. So Pat and the twins are doing like an outdoor funhouse fun day thing at one of these restaurants. If, if they want to take that step further and make a chain of thumb, funhouse themed carveries where you're having a carvery inside the funhouse and you've got like a go-kart track all the way around That's the restaurant. The, the, the veg, all the veg and the tatties are on the go-kart track, so you have to like fuck them onto your plate as you drive past at medium speeds. And you get served by identical twins in cheerleader outfits who are like warily, warily looking at the maitre d' who's got a, 
uh, uh, I'll let <laughs> way past it. So, so that was Pat Sharp DLC from Mario Kart from Mecha Games All. Thanks Fantastic. so much. Fantastic, thank you. Uh, Graham, our friend, uh, said that he'd love an actual bubble loading and aiming peripheral for Puzzle Bobble. <laughs> bubble loading. It's <laughs> so, like uh, you get a 10 pack of bubbles for a 10. <laughs> Imagine how see- huge that would be. You'd get so buff. Like... I was thinking, like, uh, you know, one of the, like, the just like the, the wee, uh, uh, tubs of, like, fairy liquid that you used to get with the ring that you blew through, but, like, you could, like, blow your stream of bubbles into some sort of motion sensing environment, and that would register in the game. Seems, seems an impossible dream, but let me have this. Someday. <laughs> um, Bitsocket, Joe, Scott, who knows? Uh, BitSocket suggests an actual Mario question mark box that you have to bop with your head to get power up in game. Extra concussion, extra fun. Oh, that's pretty funny, so I'm guessing that's Scott. We sh- what? Wow. <laughs> that's not a bad idea. A wee plush, a wee plush one that you, you bang off your head, you get. That would be that like like in a sort of Super Mario Galaxy way, like involving like a second player who isn't really playing the game. Like if the kid just sort of goes, Dad, I want an item, so Dad's got to punch this. I don't understand why they haven't done. Well, I guess there's not been a new Mario game since, but certainly power up amiibos for a. You think that'll be a thing for? Like you touch a mushroom to your gamepad, then a mushroom appears. Oof, yeah, that'll that'll happen. That'll, that'll happen. happen. Um, uh, at Drew Tavendale says a motion sensing crowbar for Half Life that you use to smash through Black Mesa would also work as a wrench for Bioshock. This got me thinking about. To talk about a modern game, have you seen that thing with Splatoon? Mm-hmm. Where it's like the pro controller with a Wiimote tied to it with a shoelace. Uh, yeah. It's like an actual thing Nintendo were like, you should do this. And you can use it as like a motion sensing oh, wow. controller. How weird is that? That'd be good. I like that. It's like, it's the most low tech thing ever. It's like, yes, we took a shoelace and tied a Wiimote to Because it's also represented in game. There's pictures of it in game. It's like. That makes sense. I like that. So that, that's Nintendo's idea for a peripheral for Splatoon was tie two of our pre-existing controllers together. But you should only use our official Nintendo branded string uh, yes. available at uh, ten pounds a pack. Um, the uh, the motion sensing crowbar uh, sounds like great fun until you definitely smash your telly to bits with it. Exactly, you'd get like the Wii startup screen warning with someone holding a crowbar. <laughs> smashing a child in the head make sure you wear your wrist retainer when you're using the motion sensing crowbar uh, Tony Chandler suggests the Minecraft pickaxe make mining more real with 10 kilogram solid metal pickaxe that connects via bluetooth uh, I've never played Minecraft but consider sure all Minecraft is as smashing blocks I think you get very very bored of playing Minecraft that must be why kids love it mm. Uh, Hadrukin Drew Tavendale returns with He's back. a full-sized rideable dragon for Panzer Dragoon Saga, yeah. controlled by leaning at the side to side and pulling reins, also lasers. As cool as I think that is, I think that's straining into territory a car for GTA. <laughs> that's um, well, it's tra- straining into territory. Imagine like, Ima- like imagine like, you like, could a, get a dragon. <laughs> imagine dragons. Uh, I'm thinking more like arcades. You know, like when you used to be able to get like half a F16 cockpit for Afterburner. Like if they'd made like a Panzer Dragoon with a rideable dragon. Jesus. There you go. Rideable dragon. There's the name of the episode. It's not an episode of One More Go without superfan Simon Cole, the Sonic Mole. He's back! Well, he's, he's never went he's away. He's never went away. Well, he's, he's, he's a dad now. He's got a, this is a fucking belter as well. A DDR-type dance mat for Dan Gun Fever on. 
which is a, a like a, a cave shoot 'em up. All right. So I I love the idea of playing like built hell shoot 'em ups with a dance mat. Oh, wow. someone's got to be doing that. That's got to be a thing. Yeah, I mean that, that sort of ballet that you have to go through to avoid like bullet hell at times. Yeah, that's, that certainly sounds great. And Dangan Fever on having such an incredible disco soundtrack. <laughs> its general disco aesthetic would fit that quite well, I think. Um, Bit Socket returns with a can of Torner X that you have to shake up to get Kazuma's heat up in Yakuza. I don't understand any of the words in that message. That's Joe. This is terrifying. This is terrifying. Paperbag animator suggests a nightmarishly realistic, uncanny valley Luigi head to interact with for Mario and Luigi Dream Team. And to, rea- and to interact with in your quieter moments. I'm worried I'd maybe buy a Luigi head if it was a thing. That's what worries well, me about that. Maybe. Maybe. You would have... You would... You'd, you'd buy your life-size Luigi body pillow. Don't. Luigi is your waifu. He also goes on to suggest, though, some sort of plushy navy with built-in speakers, which is a kind of a nice idea. But it would make the most annoying thing about Ocarina of Time even more annoying. So, uh, But what he's hit upon there is amiibos that you can cuddle, which is surely the next stage in Nintendo's well, world Well, those Yarn Yoshi amiibos are... Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, Graham White says, "Wouldn't mind a vitality sensor no. paired with a survival horror game." No, the vitality sensor's not a no, <laughs> no. Oh, Barry shot that down. Nice try, Graham. We didn't no. even get all the way through your tweet there. No. That's because Barry hates you. I love Graham, but not the vitality sensor. I don't. <laughs> uh, let's hug, bro. Suggests a Guitar Hero style guitar that lets you play along with music in Splatoon, which is fair news. Just an actual guitar, maybe. Well, that, that's what that was going to be my suggestion. Just learn how to play music, Jim. Let's. Uh, that's a way around that one. Me and Nickel will be in your Splatoon music covers band, so... Oh my god. That I don't want to play any other music for the rest of my life. Nightmare Mode Go says, A flashlight for Wild Hunt. I assume he wants to shag a griffin or something, but... What's Wild Hunt? It's The Witcher 3. Oh, right. Is that... What? Like, it's called The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt. Is it? Barry explains games <laughs> to Nickel. <laughs> I'm knowing your new generation, son. You got too many pixels going on there, son. Far too many pixels. There's a new Tomb Raider. What? <laughs> Evil Ninja Phil suggests. Well, he doesn't suggest. He, he says he wants a steel battalion joystick for uh, X-wing versus Tie Fighter. What, what he actually says is, can I invent the steel battalion joystick several years early and redesign it for X-wing versus Tie Fighter? You need now, to. You need to invent a time machine first, unfortunately. Yeah, so I'm going to say like so good idea, but like my answer to your question is no. No, it's a shame. Um, uh, McBee Pete says a jelly bean dispenser for Mean Bean Machine. Every time you make a combo with a bean, that color is shot out. Try to think how that. I'm trying to think how that would work. Well, I mean, well, you know, if you like, uh, manage to make some purple beans disappear, you got a a great one fired right down your gullet. That's pretty good. Which I've, I've, you know I've, makes the like the risk rewards tastier and also much more dangerous. This is going to sound like a ridiculous statement, but I've got really into jelly beans recently. That's fine. So I'm into that. That's Are you going to do good. a podcast about them? That's not a bad idea. Uh, smiling politely at Mogiro suggests an Echo the Dolphin sonar beak that you have to use like a light gun, one that is always attached to your face. That's it's in- the always there that makes that te- tweet particularly sinister. It's like, just how committed are you to playing Echo the Dolphin? I really like that. That's a really good idea. I would play that. But with like a beak always attached to your face, like even when you're not playing the game. 
Would you forego kisses because you want to play Heckle the Dolphin? Like, it's a decision that so many of us have made. I really like Heckle the Dolphin. Okay, great. Well, that was a wonderful, wonderful selection. We never did ours. We haven't done. I'm just saying we got a wonderful selection from the from the listeners. You got and me, now it's our turn. You got me thinking. Echo the Dolphin. I was thinking about like getting a dance mat, but playing Sonic, and you have to run really fast on the dance mat to play Sonic. That sounds like really good fun for about twenty seconds. You could play it on the Wii U balance board. The Wii U bal- the Wii balance board. Cool. Yeah, stomping a bit, but it'd be shit. But I just thought. <laughs> so a Sonic game. Hey, hey! The thing I tried really hard to try and think of an exciting one, but I just kept coming back to something I'd really like, which would be like a Nintendo-made flight stick for Lilith Wars. Ooh, that'd be nice. Because like I really love flight sticks, but I've never really played a game where I've got on with playing a fl- playing it with a flight stick. I've probably just not played. And you know, enough it sort of, of like games. injects you with some like uh, crazy uh, balance destabilizer every time you do a barrel roll, just to. Simulate that for like, you. Like, like it had. It was nice. It rumbled and that. It had all the buttons. It was just like a really nice Nintendo made peripheral. That'd be pretty great. Uh, I had a, I had a few ideas. Um, so first thought uh, for Wave Race sixty four, some sort of hose peripheral that sprays you in the face. Very good. Just to you know, like you know, get, give you the the thrill of um, uh, jet skiing, but also provide the the danger that mixing water and electronics. Can can only provide. I really like Wave Race. That's that's nice, man. I'm I'm, I'm glad. Really I'm glad like you them. feel that like really, you're in a comfortable really place to admit that. Um, for Outrun, uh, a life-sized woman to sit next to you and harass you. <laughs> Danny in a wig. No, 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 good enough. Uh, or um, just like a, a replica of Peter Molyneux's face. Whenever you're playing any Lionhead games, you can give it the Vickies every time the game you're playing doesn't do the thing that you're thing, really excited just so you about. Can, like turn around and give it a stern look now and again. <laughs> so, so, oh, so this was what was going to revolutionise gaming, was it? I like the idea of a big Peter Molyneux face that you can play that curiosity game with, <laughs> where you just have to fucking tap just, it, you have to, tap you have to it. punch him in the face instead of tapping the screen. So yeah, I don't feel like we've really stumbled on a great idea there, which is unfortunate, because I was hoping... It's almost like developing video games is really hard, and we're idiots. If people spent less time trying to be funny and more time just being <laughs> gaming geniuses, then we would have we we made our fortune. Yeah, we could have got Kickstarter right how away. How about a console that really looks like the Atari Jaguar and plays cartridges, but new cartridges? Oh, right, so none of the games that you want to play. Exactly, it's, it's incredible. Fantastic, take my money. <laughs> So this brings us to the end of another long, long-awaited episode of well, long-awaited. <laughs> hopefully, episode of One More Go. Um, and I've picked something from Super Turrican on the SNES. Turrican was a series I grew up playing on the Amiga, and before I was really it's one of those things when you're that young and you're playing games, you're never really aware of the music. I don't think, but I even went back and played some of them recently. I was like, "Fuck me, the music is so good." So I went to try the SNES one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's two Super Turricans. Yeah, one of them's a NES game. I'm pretty sure. Well, there were a lot of Turrican games anyway. Um, and the SNES one has the benefit of having everything done in that kind of lovely, echoey, almost kind of melancholy SNES sound palette. The kind of Super Castlevania type mm-hmm. stuff where you get like the really kind of thick, s- sad strings. Um, I'm sure this tune was written by that guy Chris Hulsbeck. Who else? Beck? I don't know. How, I've never known how to pronounce his name. 
But everything that I could find credited Manfred Trends as having written the song, so I think he might have done the arrangement for the SNES version. Sure. Whereas Chris Hillsbeck wrote the original one. Um, I couldn't find a name for this track either, it's just Stage 1-3. But it's like, I love it so much, it's my favourite tune in all the Super Turk, and it has this real kind of emotional 80s guitar music vibe to it. It's like total like coastal night drive 80s <laughs> kind of, oh, it's, it's so great. Um, sort of music that David Hasselhoff solves crimes to. A bit more upbeat than that, I'd say. More kind of driving, but it's definitely of, of that era. Um, and it, it's... <laughs> I love Turrican, but I don't think the music really matches the visuals. The music is super slick, and I always found the visuals to be a bit... bit more leaning towards the Amiga side of things. It's not like your super slick kind of jack. Cause it's a Western-developed game, eh? Mm. And I think the music is far better than the way the game looks. But I love everything else about Turrican. I think it plays amazingly. I'm just not a huge fan of the visual aesthetic. But but no, I've been playing it a lot. Um, and just go and listen to the soundtrack because every, every tune on this soundtrack's a banger. So so I, that'll, that'll be coming up in a minute. But I guess we've got to say goodbye for yeah another month. Yeah, well, we do like bangers, so it's, it's good that we, we go out that way. But yes, I, do, I do. I like banging tunes. I also really like sausages. I just want to... I love sauces. All the banger bases covered. Do you, um, do you prefer it, Link or Square? It's horses for courses, mate. You got, uh, but if it, you know, yeah, there's there's times there's times where a Link is more more effective than a You're Square. You're on the, the fence. Only the fence is made out of sausages. If it was a straight choice, Square. Fuck off. That was the end of one more go. Sorry, <laughs> Barry really is going to stab me in the face. I'm going to do a jelly bean and sausage podcast, <laughs> and you're not going to fucking anywhere near it. Like, um, thank you well, again, genuinely. Thank you for sticking with us. If you are listening to this, you you didn't just delete us off your your podcast queue in a Cheers. fit of rage. So we do genuinely appreciate that. Realize we've been less than consistent. Uh, hopefully, we might be a little bit more available to play some of these wonderful games and tell you wonderful people about them. If you want to uh, get a hold of us in the in the meantime, uh, if, you, if they wanted to follow us on Twitter, what would they do, Barry? Uh, you can find me at No Stopping Epoch. You can find me at Nickel Hay. And you can find us at One More Go Pod. That is correct. And also on Tumblr. Mm-hmm. Uh, one More Go Podcast.tumblr.com. Com, I think that's it. I can't that's actually been a while, but that's it. That's it. Uh, and that's the place for like all the all the shows archived and uh, also all our gifts and reblogs of other lovely video game stuff. If you just want a constant stream of visual video game, joy, and you can also see the lovely artwork that Mickey Games all made for us. You can as well. Any excuse to thank Owen for that lovely artwork. We probably haven't done that enough, but. Let's continue to do it slightly less than we should in the future, just to keep him keen. So we'll hopefully be back. We may have a guest next time, we may not, but we're really going to try to make this a regular podcast again. Mm-hmm. And we're very thankful for everyone that does listen to it, because, I mean, the reason we do the podcast is for other people. And that might sound a bit hammy, but genuinely, I think we started this podcast to give other people the chance to learn about old games. So it yeah. means a lot that people listen to it, basically. So. And... Yeah, so please join us again next time. Maybe in a month, maybe in two. (laughs) Maybe in eight. For more games that we used to love, games that we still love, games that we hope that you'll love too. Here's uh, stage one three from Super Turrican. Banging. (laughs) 